Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that you have shown us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you for calling us, for choosing us. We thank you for giving him to die on the cross for us, so that we can be saved. And we thank you that your message of salvation uh, has reached even to us. Our Father, as we uh, consider your grace towards us in Jesus, uh, we pray that you help us to see and appreciate more clearly not only what you have done for us in Him, uh, but for the fact that we too have been included in Him. Help us now as we look at your word. Uh, speak to us, we pray, by your spirit. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Uh, please do have a seat. Mm-hmm. You know, you can come like here on the pocket. <laughs> Can I uh, ask you to turn with me to Acts chapter 10? So, page 1106 of the Church Bibles. Uh, Acts chapter 10. And there's also an outline uh, that you will receive as you come in. Inside uh, one of those handouts in the middle. That might be helpful to have that there as well. On May 6th, 1954, Roger Bannister was the first man in recorded history to run the four-minute mark. But we all know about him. At that time, it was considered not only undoable, but dangerous to the health of any athlete who tried. Now that Roger Bannister is done, it's been done many times, isn't it? Broken by many athletes, and in fact, it's the standard for all professional middle distance runners. In our passage today, we read of another barrier that has been broken. It's a barrier that's far more important than the four minute mark. A barrier that actually would have stopped most of us, if not all of us, from being Christians if it hadn't been broken. At the time, there was a huge barrier that to break it seemed unthinkable. But now, it seems to be the normal thing. But we really need to appreciate how it happened. We can appreciate how wonderful it is uh, that we are part of God's people. Jesus Christ had died for our sins. He had risen again. He had ascended into heaven. He was at the right hand of God, the, the ultimate place of authority in the universe. He was the king of God's kingdom. The kingdom that was started through his death and resurrection. And as king of the kingdom, he was ruling his people. The risen Jesus already told the apostles that the gospel, the message of who he is and what he had done, had to go throughout the world. These apostles, he then had seen him after his resurrection, and he said they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. They would be his witnesses. They would start in Jerusalem, the city from where God's kings king had reigned. And they would go on to Judea and Samaria, the territory that covered the old kingdoms of, of Judah and Israel. And the true believers from both those areas would trust in Jesus as their king. And his kingdom would encompass both in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. 
Then he has said there will be these witnesses to the ends of the earth. Well, on the day that we know as Pentecost, God poured out his spirit on the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. 1500 years beforehand, he brought Israel out of slavery in Egypt, he had rescued them, and as he started this nation, he brought them through the water of the Red Sea, a baptism of sorts. But now he was baptizing his people with the spirit. Because this new nation would not just be a physical nation, but a spiritual one. And he made them speak languages that they had never understood. A reversal of the curse of Babel, where God had confused the languages because of sin. God scattered the people there, but now God was gathering his people. And then in Acts chapter 8, when the Samaritans, first became believers believe in Jesus, different from the Jews, they were from the other side of all the kingdom. God did the same thing. They were baptized in the Spirit, they spoke other languages, just like the Jewish Christians had at Pentecost. For God was breaking another barrier. He was bringing the gospel to a new group of people. And today, we see that phenomena happening again. Didn't happen to everyone. Didn't happen to everyone in the book of Acts. But it happened at these important points when the gospel crossed the new barrier. So this new group of people would know, and that all the people would know, that this new group of people would be part of the kingdom. And the people who are on view today, not the Jews, not the Samaritans, but the Gentiles. People who had no connection with the promises of God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the history of Israel. And people had no claim no to the promises of God. People like you and like me are all outside the Old Testament, the history, and the history. The opening scene is a place called is in a place called Caesarea. Uh, you see Caesarea in the uh, in the map up there. Uh, Caesarea was a Gentile city in the land of Israel. Uh, a city that was, that was built specifically to be the centre of Roman government in the area, a bit like a Putrajaya, right? In, uh, in in that place. And you see from the map it's about hundred k's north of Jerusalem. It's up the coast from Joppa where we left Peter last week. And there, in Caesarea, was a man named Cornelius. Cornelius was a centurion. I mean, he's a commander of a hundred men in the Roman army. He was in what was known as the Italian cohort, which indicates that these were people that were recruited into the soldiers under him. Centurions got paid about three times the normal soldiers' rates, so he's a fairly well-to-do man. But most importantly, far more importantly, he was a devout man who feared God with all his house. He was a Roman, but he did not worship idols. He did not worship the God of the Romans or the Greeks. He worshipped the God of Israel. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He worshipped the one true God, but he was not a Jew. He did not keep the ceremonial law of the Jews. He did not get circumcised. He did not follow the food laws. And he could not offer the sacrifice in the temple. Now, Colleen is not alone in this. There's lots of people actually. Another man called God fears. 
God-fearers, the people who believe in the one true God, they worship the God of Israel, many of them went to the synagogues, they read the Greek translation of the Old Testament, but they did not belong to Israel. They were considered by them to be uncircumcised Gentiles. God is And so even though he didn't become a Jew, this Cornelius feared God and all his household. So his family was God fearing too. He gave arms, generously in the poor house, a charitable gifts. And so his faith in Israel's God resulted in his generosity. And not only that, he prayed. He prayed the kingdom to God. And one day, about three years, says the night hour, an angel of the Lord came to him in a vision. Cornelius! And Cornelius was terrified. What what is it, Lord? And he said to him, verse 4, Your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. The word memorial was used in the Old Testament book of Leviticus for for, 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 for the sacrifices. They weren't the sacrifices that take away sin, but the sacrifices of thanksgiving. And Cornelius couldn't offer sacrifices in the temple. But God said he considered Cornelius terrible, giving as sacrifices. God heard his prayers and accepted his sacrifice. And God had an instruction for him. Verse 5. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon and Anna, whose house is by the seaside. Cornelius doesn't know these Simons. His obedient vision. He sends two soldiers, ah, sorry, two servants, and a soldier who's also a God fearer. He sends them down to John to go and uh, collect the sign of Peter. About noonday, they're getting close to the city the next day. And so God's getting ready things on the other side. The Apostle Peter is still inside the first house. Goes off to the rooftop to pray. Houses in that part of the world that have flat roof, right, so it's a good place to go when you want some privacy. I said, I'll go and sit on the bottom of the roof. I don't know why you can pray on the roof at midday, right? <laughs> um, but there he goes. And you know, when I stop to pray, I don't know about you, but when I stop to pray, all of my body clients and my whole kinds of reasons why you can do something else. <laughs> but, well, Peter's up there, he wanted to pray, and what happens? He, he's hungry. So he sends a request out for some lunch. And while he's waiting, something happens. Verse 10 says that he fell into a trance. That is, he was in some kind of altered state of consciousness. It's not something that he put himself into. It's not something that someone else put him into. The food hadn't come up yet, so he cut away on the mushroom that someone collected and put in the cellar. And while Peter was in this state, he had this vision. He saw all the heavens open. And there was this big sheep left down by four corners coming down towards the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds. Then it was. Rise, Peter. Kill and eat. Peter says in verse 14. By no means, Lord. No way, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. See, there's all these animals in there that 
that are not the enemies. And in the Old Testament ceremonial law that you're not allowed to eat. And the voice comes to you again in verse 15. What God has made clean, do not call common. What God has made clean, do not call common. Three times God showed him the animals. Three times God spoke to him. And the whole thing was taken back up in heaven. And even as it was in his right mind, he was really stressed about the vision. What does it mean? What's going on? And while he was worried about the vision, those three guys were on either side. They'd been asking around where Simon's house was, and now they're at the gate asking Simon Peter. The Spirit said to him in verse 19, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation. Fire and ascend. So Peter goes down. Verse 21, I am the one they're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? The answer to this reason, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house to hear what you have to say. Uh, that would be a surprise for you. Hear these Gentile men coming to his house claiming that God had by an angel sent them, arranged them to come and pick up here. Well, Peter should have been used to Christ by now. Invited those guys in, entertained them. They stayed in the house as a guest overnight, something quite remarkable in itself. That wouldn't happen before. And the next day, Peter left Joppa with these three men and brought some of the Christians from Joppa with him, the most Jewish Christians. And they went up to Caesarea. They got to Caesarea the following day. And when they got there, Cornelius was waiting for them. Not just Cornelius, he gathered all his relatives and his close friends and Carl, come along and hear what this guy's going to say, because this was really, really special. Peter went to the house, Cornelius comes up to greet him. In fact, as he's greeting, he falls on his feet to worship him. Peter quickly stops him. Uh, stand up, I'm just a man. Cornelius talks to Peter. Leads him to the area where, where all the guests are gathered. And so Peter ends up not just talking to Cornelius, but the whole lot of them. And they exchange stories. Peter says in verse 28, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or with anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came out of Jesh. Then asked why you sent for me. And this is my story. What should I come? When he is responding to his story, verse 30. Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your heart has been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. 
So I said to you once, and now you're kind of now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. What's that next? God had worked on both sides, both parties, in an incredible way to set up this account. God had brought them together because God really wanted Peter to preach the gospel to this man. And so Peter spoke, verse 34. Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him does what is right is acceptable to me. Peter not say that everyone will be saved. But he is saying that anyone can be. Race is not an issue. Cornelius didn't have to become a Jew to be accepted to God. Contrary to what all the Jews thought. Anyone who fears God and knows what is right is acceptable to him, no matter what the background. And Cornelius said he feared the God of Abraham. He believed the Old Testament scriptures. He trusted the God of the Bible that put his faith into action. And even though he was not a Jew by descent, Cornelius worshipped the God of Israel. He was someone with faith by Abraham. He feared God and did what was right. And yet he still needed to hear the message from Peter. The message of Jesus still needed to go to a God of your mind, just like it needed to go to the Jews. The true Jew would receive the Lord Jesus as their king, and the true God would do so as well. Must be saved. And there are two things in that message that Cornelius need to hear. They are there in verse 26. As for the word that he says to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Even though we sin against God and we deserve God's wrath, we can have peace with Him through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus died to take our sins on Himself so that we can be friends with God. Died to take our judgment so that we can have peace with God. And that is who He is. For He is needed to hear the goodness of peace through Jesus Christ. And the second thing we needed to hear was that Jesus, verse 36, is Lord of all. That is, the Jewish Messiah, He's, the, he's actually the King of everyone. Not just the king of the Jews, he's the king of all. Cornelius didn't hear that. Because if he was just the king of the Jews, then just the Jews have to give their allegiance to him. But Jesus is the Lord of all. And all have to give their allegiance to him. And he offers peace to all. Now, Cornelius and his friends would have heard something about Jesus. Uh, they would have heard little bits and pieces, because Jesus caused such a stir that everyone around you knew him. You yourself know, verse 37, Peter says, What happened throughout Judea, beginning from Jerusalem after the baptism, John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. 
and the witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. You heard about it, but I and the other apostles, we, we were actually there. We were with him. We were witnesses. From the end of the night. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Someone like Cornelius, who knew his Old Testament, well, this, this would be a very striking picture for him because in the book of Deuteronomy, a tree is something that you, or you, you, you hang a, execute a criminal on a tree to show that he's cursed by God. And Peter calls the cross on a tree. That's execution. It's like a tree, it's like a stick of wood sticking up. But it, it calls it a tree because it shows Deuteronomy this is where someone who's cursed by God hangs. They put him to death by hanging on a tree. Because Jesus suffered our curse for us. Because he took our sins for us. So that we could have that peace with God. His death was an evil part. They conspired to have him to by hanging on a tree, but the big part, verse 14, but God raised him on the third day and made him a king. God overturned their decision. God brought him back to life, made him be seen. And he wasn't seen by everybody. That would have to wait until the same time. At that point, every eye was seen. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to everyone, by verse 21, to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Just sitting witnesses. People like Peter saw him and heard him and ate with him and drank with him. They would, they would be his witnesses to the world. So in verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Everyone. Not just the Jews, but the living and the dead. Everyone. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're a Malaysian or a visitor, whether you're a man or a female, whether you're a student, you're a worker, whether you're rich or you're poor, there is one judge for everyone, and everyone can receive forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in him. As you know, as Peter was telling him about Jesus being Lord, as he was telling them about the forgiveness of sins through his name, the Holy Spirit fell on those who believed the word. The Jewish Christians who had come with Peter, they were amazed because the gift of the Spirit was being poured out on these Gentiles. And they were speaking in languages that they hadn't learned, like the, like the Jewish Christians had back at Pentecost. Remember the significance of that? God was gathering his people who was building his nation. And now the Gentiles are going to be part of it. They have received the Spirit. They are being baptized by the Spirit into the people of God. Happened to the Jews of Pentecost, happened to the Samaritans the next day. And now it's happened to them. God was bringing them under his kingdom. God was bringing even them into his kingdom. And into his family. And so Peter turns to his Jewish Christian friends who brought 
says to them, verse 27, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Obviously not. God has set us on. He had accepted these people into his kingdom by giving them the reality of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter commanded them to baptize in water the name of Jesus Christ as a sign of that reality. Well, how to remain a few days? Not only did he enter the house of the Gentile, he actually stayed there for a few days. Again, something that's remarkable, something he wouldn't have done before this. But you know, it's one thing to go off and do something new, you know that God is showing you something new, and it's right, you know that it's right, and, but not everyone has shared your experience. And not everyone, well, how do you have to miss that? It's like after Smacko this year. Lots of people came back with a fresh understanding of what God wants us to do. I would just share with people who weren't there. Well, the Jewish Christians, including the other apostles, heard that these Gentiles had received the word of God. That's scratching their head. How can that be? How could they be there? It's like if, you know, some guy could then start signing up non believers members of other. Can you imagine it? Quickly you'll get a phone call. What do you think you're doing? Come back to KL and explain yourself. Peter has to go back to Jerusalem to explain himself. And when he got there, there were people all ready to have a go. People, especially from those that would be known as the circumcision party, who, who firmly believed he had to be circumcised in order to be saved. And Peter's a world's attacking. Chapter 11, verse 3. You and the uncircumcised men and ate with them. That's, that's interesting, isn't it? Didn't start with how did you go back to Gentile? That probably would have been the next step. That's right. You fellowship uncircumcised men. You, you found yourself. Look at how possible you You made yourself unclean by, by mixing with the unclean. That's a big no no for Jews. And so Peter explains the whole story of them. Chapter 11, verses 5 to 10, tells that whole story about the sheep and all those things. You said The whole barrier between Jew and Gentile based on diet. Actually, they're over it. Jesus had already anticipated that back when he said that. That, that it's what comes, comes out of the man, rather what goes into the man, that makes him unclean. And after the cross and resurrection, well, it really is all. But it's, that's not the main point here. That's not the point. Jesus just dies and we can eat just and by the pork. You see, Jesus in this vision was, was teaching Peter that he should call unclean what God calls clean. He tells it to these guys. The, the illustration is the animals of the food. That's, that's true enough, but the application is the people. Why is your emphasis? Do not call it unclean. 
हमारे पास
affects us. So what do we learn for our lives today? Well, the biggest and the most important thing we learn this passage today is that the gospel is for everyone. Gospel is for everyone. That is so important. See, those Jewish Christians were acting as if the gospel was only for the Jews. But God had shown that it wasn't. Even back in the Old Testament, uh, in Isaiah 49 verse 6, God says, God is speaking to the servant, fulfilled in Jesus, and he says, it is too hard to think that you should be my servant to raise up the tribe of Jacob and bring that to preserve of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, as the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Long enough for the servant to rebuild Israel, to reunite Judah and, and, and Israel, Judea and Samaria. Long enough. I will make you a light for the nations. But the early Christians, they didn't see it. It was a blind spot. And remember how Jesus said, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all nations. Not to the Jews of all nations, it's to all the nations. Gentiles. Make disciples of everyone. But the early Jewish Christians didn't see it. It was a blind spot. But Jesus is Lord of his church. And when the time is right, he broke those barriers and he made sure that the gospel went out to the Gentiles. Now, friends, do we have blind spots when it comes to the advance of the gospel? Do we believe that the gospel is for everyone? And that everyone needs everyone? Do we believe that people from every tribe and people and nation and every background and every religion need to hear about Jesus? And that we can't discriminate. That we can't say, oh, this group of people, that would be all, they're beyond the reach of the gospel. God can't say what, or God wouldn't want to say people like that. Who are the people that we don't want to tell about Jesus? Who's scared? Who say everyone except them? Now, different people will be reaching different ways. Not saying we have a one size fits all mentality with values. Not saying that we have to do things openly in the same kind of way as we do it different people in different ways. I'm saying that we cannot write anyone off based on grace or power. The gospel is for everyone. God has broken down the barriers of the gospel. Not so that anyone else will Second, we're reminded not to call unclean what God has called clean. We saw this, it doesn't just apply to food, it applies to people, isn't it? That's the more important thing. 
And of course, not many of us got hang up stuff. Do laws? See who is right. It's fine. No barriers. But are there people among us who are racist? Okay, what race you are? Who slides people from different racial backgrounds from your own? Is it different? Back in the colonial days, the locals were considered second class Christians by many of the colonists. Some Anglican churches, expats congregation, the main church buildings, and the Tamil congregation had to meet in the rundown hall. What even allowed you to say that? That's shocking. We wouldn't do that, would we? But we'll be only talking to people of our own kind at the church. Or will we make an effort to cross cultural barriers? Will we in our minds see each other as us and them? Or us together as brothers and sisters in Christ? Will we have to ignore the fact that, that we are all sinners saved by grace, fellow servants of Christ, shaped the way we think about each other? Or will that grace? Same thing. 
And now here, at the time, you see the Gentiles get saved for the first time. Saved as well. But when you and I were saved, just more of a cycle, but another Gentile in the kingdom. It was a great significance to us, I'm sure. It was great rejoicing in heaven, but it's not really the kind of write it down in the Bible kind of thing. That's something you usually don't see this phenomenon as the gospel grows out within the group. But the Bible does tell us that if we belong to Jesus, we can be that that is universal. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, in the one spirit, or by the one spirit, you're all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We're all made to drink in one spirit. Spirit baptizes even into that body of Christ, into that kingdom. That consists not just of Jews, Samaritans, to us get So don't disagree as we look at this passage, we remember once again that people need to hear the gospel. That's why God broke the barriers. Cornelius, he was a good man, he was a God fearer. God didn't discriminate. He treated him just like the pious Jew who trusted God and showed us his action. But like the pious Jew, he needed to trust in Jesus to ultimately be saved. salvation. God has granted them repentance unto the forgiveness of sins. See, in the Old Testament, such pious Jews, they were saved through Jesus. Obviously, hadn't heard of him. But they had all the promises that point forward to him. All the patterns, all the sacrifices, the kings, everything that point forward to Jesus. And like Abraham, they trusted God to keep his promises. They relied on those promises and those shadows that promised the reality of Christ. They were saved on the basis of their relationship to Christ. All those Old Testament Jews. Though not all Jews were like that. Think of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders who thought leaders It's only the righteous minority, the remnant of Jews who actually trusted in God who were truly saved. And when Jesus died and rose again, God's promises were fulfilled. The promises came to pass. The sacrifice was no longer needed because Jesus had been sacrificed once and for all on the cross. The true king had arrived. The reality was here. The shadows were no more. It was transition time. And what those righteous Jews needed to do was to trust in Jesus. And then they got what they were to move from the reality that the shadow of the reality. Jesus said in John, if God were your father, he's talking to you, if God were your father, you would love me. Because I am come from God and I See, the real Jews, the true Jews who trusted God, would love to Jesus. God brought the righteous remnant into the kingdom of his son. And in the same way, we've got this pious empire. Worship the God of Israel. Accepted by God as he would a pious Jew. But the new age has come. It's time for transition. It's not enough for Cornelius to remain a God fearer, any more than it's enough for Peter to remain a Jew. Salvation comes by faith in Jesus. And God will make sure that Cornelius serves in Jesus Christ and believes in him because of all this life to do. God promises him that he will bring Peter. 
and bring him the message of salvation. Because even this God-fearing man, Cornelius, needs Jesus to be saved. And he needs someone to come to him and to tell him the gospel of Jesus. To tell him about his life and his death and resurrection, about the forgiveness of sins that is available to him. He needs to believe. And when he believes, he receives the Spirit. God grants him repentance unto eternal life. Friends, we're no longer in transition time. And the point is even more really obvious for us. People, even seemingly good people, need to hear the gospel. People need to hear that Jesus lived the perfect life. That he died for our sins in our place on the cross. That he rose from the dead and returned to the judgment hall. And those who believe in him receive the forgiveness of sins in his name. People need to hear the gospel. Whatever their background, whatever their behavior, whatever their priorities, people need the gospel. Because the gospel, and the gospel of life, is the power of God and the salvation of God. Thank you that Jesus has indeed died for our sins and risen from the dead. We thank you that we have received his gospel. That we have been forgiven and come to a relationship with you. Thank you so much for that. And we know that that is your grace, your kindness, and it's nothing else. Our Father, we, we pray that you will help us to be people who are eager and willing to do what it takes to bring your gospel to others. We know that, that people from every tribe and language and nation need to hear about Jesus. They need to put their trust in you so they can be saved in that last day. And our Father, we pray that you will use us individually and as a community together to reach out to them. I was to be wise. I was not to be fearful. Father, we thank you that even though we are Gentiles, even though we were far away from the promises of Israel, that in your mercy that you have brought us here, have brought us here. Again, Lord, we know that there's nothing that we can claim. There's something that we, can, that we can say how good we are or anything about our ancestors or anything like that. We just say that you can find us. Thank you for that. Thank you for the way that you arrange all those things. May all those things happen so that for me it's not God. Trust in Jesus. Thank you that you've done that for us. Thank you that now we are far away and brought to us without Jesus. 
Thank you that we can enjoy that you give us a service. That we can enjoy having Jesus like you. Living in this kingdom now. And being with you forever. Praise you, Lord. Thank you for your spirit. It was baptized us in the name of part of your name. And they have us to know that it was our Father. Jesus' name.